I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Here's our host, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio. Over the past few years, China has been increasingly testing America's influence around the world, but 2023 could be the year that changes everything for U.S. China relations. From warnings of war to high tech industrial battles, so that's just the beginning. So let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Well, every time we want to think again and go a little deeper, we uh, turn to our inside source, Olivier Knox, who, of course, is the national political correspondent and anchor of the Daily 202 for the Washington Post and whose writing and thinking uh, is uh, just a blessing every day. And uh, Olivier, uh, great uh, piece today in the Daily 202 uh, talking about this really high wire of all high wire acts that's going on between uh, U.S. and China. Give us some perspective. Yeah, um, I, I noticed uh, late last year that the uh, President Biden's administration was really ramping up its contacts with China, even as it also ramped up tension. On both, both sides were ramping up tension. So you have Treasury Secretary Yellen who goes to China. Uh, next week, we expect uh, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken to go to China. Uh, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has met with his counterpart in recent weeks. And we expect President Biden and Chinese leader Xi Jinping to see each other at least twice this year, possibly more. Um, this flurry of diplomatic contacts uh, obviously is not shockingly uh, uh, different from the past. This is, after all, the world's most important bilateral relationship. But it is interesting because it's coming at the same time as Biden is um, directing American industrial policy in a way that's directly designed to counter China in a couple different ways. One, by incentivizing the construction and assembly of electric vehicles and batteries in the United States, in North America more broadly and also by trying to starve the Chinese economy of microchips, something they've done really pretty successfully, not just American microchips, but they recently got the Dutch and the Japanese to buy into this idea, uh, which has the Chinese crying foul. Uh, it's so interesting. One of the things, that the way I, I love the way you framed your comments today, uh, looking at this as whether you're looking at revisionist power, strategic competitor, or new Cold War, all interesting headline pieces Uh, But give us some of the the under-the-surface stuff, uh, especially as we go into some pretty important talks uh, with Secretary of State Blinken. Yeah, I mean, you know, there have have been um, many different ways of thinking about the U.S.-China relationship. And every every White House, every administration tries to come up with its own formula. Um, Obviously, Congress has its own ideas as well. And so you have all these different descriptors of of China. Uh, Again, uh, you know, uh, uh, geopolitical competitor, a rival, a hostile power, revisionist power, which means um, China is trying to undo the U.S.-anchored post-World War II international order. Um, These are all different descriptors. New Cold War is interesting because it was most recently uttered by the head of the new special committee, special House of Representatives committee on China, um, Congressman Mike Gallagher. Um, and so how you frame the problem can sometimes uh, indicate what kinds of solutions you're willing to apply. And that's one of the reasons that we look at the moment again. Uh, it's so interesting. Uh, <laughs> I, I saw that with the announcement of the new committee, 
uh, that full-time job to focus on those U.S.-China relations. And uh, we were talking earlier in the show uh, about what came out of the 2011 uh, debt ceiling crisis. And, of course, what came out of it was a super committee that worked for nine months and, and then finally ended on issuing a statement of after all of our work and debate, uh, we got nothing. <laughs> and, they yeah, just, yeah. and they just banned it. I, I hope this committee does a little bit better than that, but I'm not uh, not holding my breath on that one for sure. Uh, so give us some of your perspective, uh, Olivier, as you talk to your sources, as you continue to monitor this. Uh, is there something that you're really watching for it, with Secretary Blinken and then, of course, uh, President Biden himself? Uh, are there things that you're watching as we roll up to that that might give us some indication as to where we're really headed? Well, what's going to be interesting to listen to the tone of the exchanges when Tony Blinken goes to China. Um, you know, the Chinese recently pulled back. They used to have this thing that they called wolf warrior diplomacy, which had these extremely aggressive statements by the diplomats around the world. And they've been dampening that kind of language for, for the past few months. And they reassigned one of the most prominent practitioners of wolf warrior diplomacy. And so one of the questions is, you know, how tense are these exchanges going to be? Um, and ultimately, one, one thing I'm trying to understand is, I mean, Biden's pursuing a really aggressive agenda here, especially in the economic front. So what is the purpose of these stepped up conversations? Is this, and I said this in the piece, is this something, should we think about this the same way we think about setting up the so-called hotline between the U.S. and USSR at the height of the Cold War? Mm. Is this to make sure that there's no unintentional escalation into military conflict? In other words, it's not that, it's not that the relationship is thawing in any meaningful way. I don't see Biden lifting the tariffs on Chinese goods, for instance. Right. But um, is it about making sure that we don't have a, a military spillover to an economic conflict? So fascinating. One of the other things you pointed out that I think we all should keep our eye on is uh, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has said he's going to visit Taiwan. Uh, that yes. will create a, a whole slew of things. Of course, when uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi went, there were also a string of things that took place there. Uh, walk yes. us through where you think that is and what does that look like leading up to, to the, the bigger meeting with, with President Biden? It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, you remember that um, when Nancy Pelosi wanted to go, uh, no one made it harder for her to go than Joe Biden. He he revealed what had been to that point an unannounced trip right. and said and said that the Pentagon opposed it. Um, now, I don't expect that to happen with Kevin McCarthy. I think what's going to happen with Kevin McCarthy, and I, I don't see any, I really don't see anything the White House could do to make him not go mm. to Taiwan. I do think that um, what they might be able to do is convince him not to go in March when the Chinese Communist Party has a really big Congress. Because that would be such a slap in the face that it would um, invite some kind of you know effort to save face by the by the Chinese, and that could actually escalate tensions in a more significant way. So I would expect him to go uh, April, May, June, sometime somewhere in that time frame. Okay, uh, very very interesting there. And then uh, give us some insight. You know, one of the things that always gets talked about way way early, but never quite seemed to get to the table 
in the end is a lot of the focus on human rights uh, and religious mm-hmm. liberty, minor, religious minority communities in China uh, that are being persecuted. Any rumblings you're hearing in that space, will this be any different or will it be kind of high end in the beginning and uh, maybe a, a side sentence uh, in the course of the, the real conversation? I'm, sh- I'm sure we'll get something about the Biden administration placing a premium on human rights and the rest of it. But the element that I'm listening for on on that score is there are a few uh, American citizens who are uh, detained in China that the United mm. States considers unfairly detained in China. The Chinese have made it pretty clear that these are hostages and that they want concessions to freedom. Um, so one thing they could do uh, when Blinken is there is release one or more of those Americans. Mm. Um, they're not going to make wholesale changes to the slave labor camps in Xinjiang. They're not going to make wholesale changes to the really astonishing national network of surveillance that they've built. Um, there are things that they're not going to relent on. But, you know, freeing one or two Americans is, is not a huge gesture, but it would uh, it would be a meaningful one. Yeah. Now, China obviously faces some of their own challenges. We know population decline is starting to be a big one. A lot of the investment that the government has made in the chip manufacturing business has, has not gone yes. well. Uh, what what else? What else are we not asking uh, in terms of going into those conversations from a position of strength as the United States? So uh, in President George W. Bush's book, Decision Points, he said at one point that the first thing he asked a foreign leader, uh, when they met for the first time, was what keeps you up at night, which I confess is the kind of book that I would devour. Um, unfortunately, Bush only gives us the answer that he got from the Chinese leader at the time, Hu Jintao, who apparently told Bush, I have to create 25 million jobs a year. Wow. Um, that gives you a sense of the economic pressures that Chinese leaders are under. And it's unsettling for, for a couple of reasons. Um, and one of those is that if you don't succeed on the economic front, then maybe you're inclined to direct people's anger at, say, I don't know, Taiwan, right? Uh, exactly. Maybe you try to, 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 to recover some of your strength by, by, by fanning the flames of nationalist sentiment. And there's really, there are few better ways to do that than with Taiwan. Mm. And so that's, that's a real concern. And I think we, sometimes in the United States, we sort of see the Chinese leadership as invulnerable and all-powerful. After all, they lead a massively sophisticated totalitarian state. But the fact of the matter is they face some pressures. And in fact, you saw a good example when Xi Jinping was forced to back off the zero-COVID lockdown policies. Right. Uh, Fascinating stuff, as always. Olivier Knox, one of our great thinkers and writers that we love to tap into. He's a national political correspondent and anchor of the Daily 202 for The Washington Post. Uh, Olivier, knocked it out. Uh, Really appreciate your perspective on what is a very delicate dance uh, for the United States and China. Always a pleasure. All right, and that's Olivier Knox. And uh, Olivier hits so many crucial things. You need to check out his uh, piece on the Daily 202 for The Washington Post because it is the delicate dance. And so often we we hear the the big things, we know the big things, but it's these subtle components that we've really got to start watching. What will happen if Kevin McCarthy, as Speaker of the House, goes over? Uh, What are the conversations going to be when Secretary Blinken is there? Uh, You just heard Olivier say that one of the big challenges, they got to create 25 million jobs, new jobs a year. Uh, They're struggling in the tech sector in terms of chip manufacturers because they threw a bunch of government money at it. Uh, and it didn't it didn't result in any real innovation. So there's lots of challenges there. We should function from a position of strength. 
As Olivier said, it's not about doing things that are going to set off or escalate tensions as it relates to Taiwan. But we should function from a position of strength. And then we should have a conversation of how do we move this forward? It's a delicate dance. There are some obvious places where we are interdependent because of the global economy. But there's also things where we have to continue to lead the way because our real position of strength is with religious freedom, watching out for minority communities, and making sure everyone has a fair chance to live their own version of their own dream. Think again with Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America, but this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.